but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Good afternoon. Happy to be with you all again. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 11, that's where we'll be reading from this morning. Be in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity to come uh, gather together to worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have so clearly revealed yourself to us in your word, how you've revealed your desire for us, how we are to live, how we are to please you, and you've revealed what your son Jesus has done for us to unite us to you. So God, we pray that this morning that, that your words would be heard, that your Holy Spirit would apply the words to our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, and that you would shape us and mold us into the people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, quite a few years ago, I was 16, and at that time I was living in Boise, and my, with part of my family, my mom and I and my two younger sisters all lived in Boise, and my dad had gone to Missouri, where he had started building a house for us, and then the plan was eventually, when the house got to a certain point, We'd all head down there with him and finish up the house, start our new life in Missouri. Well, I'm in Idaho and dad shows up one day, did the kind of thing that he would do and said, you got two days, say goodbye to all your friends, you're coming with me, we're gonna go build this house. So that's what we did. So we got in the car and at this time we had this uh, early 90s Jeep Grand Cherokee and this was gonna be my car. It was my parents' car, but I was gonna drive it when we got there. 16-year-old kid, just new to driving. I had all the plans for how I was going to fix this thing up and impress all my new friends. And that's the car that we were driving down there. It's the middle of July. Dad's tired. 
16-year-old driver, he gets to take a nap. So I'm driving and dad is asleep in the passenger seat. And as I'm driving, the dreaded check engine light comes on. So as a kid, of course, I kind of freak out a little bit and panic and say, dad, the check engine light came on, what do I do with this? And he, as many of us would do, said, just ignore it and we'll deal with it when we get there. So that's what I did. Kept driving. Maybe 30 minutes later, smoke started coming out from underneath the dashboard over on his side of the car. So now I'm really panicked and jab him and I'm like, Dad, there's smoke coming out from underneath the car now. We've got to do something about this. And he does what any logical person would do and said, roll the windows down, turn the heat up, and keep driving. So that's what I did. And of course, it was only about five or ten minutes later before there was smoke billowing out from underneath the hood and the car putters to a stop. And this trip that should have taken us two days ends up taking us a week. And I didn't even get there with my car. We ended up trading it in for a 1985 Mercury Grand Marquis, which is not a car that's going to impress anybody. So all of this could have been avoided had we actually stopped and looked to see what was wrong with the car when the check engine light came on. But we kept going. And when we come to passages like this, when we read something like the Lord's Prayer, or when we read a passage on prayer in general, it's so easy to just kind of gloss over it and say, yeah, I know that. Especially if you've grown up in the church. You know the Lord's Prayer. We've said the Lord's Prayer hundreds, if not thousands of times. And we can just kind of skip over it. But what's so beautiful about these well-known passages is that it's a good time for us to slow down and pause and examine ourselves. Kind of a check engine light to see what is my prayer life really like when we look at this and Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And we can ask ourselves, even this morning, ask ourselves, is my prayer life rich and growing? Is it faithful? Am I consistent? Or is it weak? Is it scattered? Is it uh, occasional? Or are we even really praying at all? And I'm sure there's a variety of answers in here, but no matter what, there is always growth that we can do. There's always growing that we can do when it comes to prayer, learning how to pray how God has taught us. And either way, whether we're struggling in our prayer life or whether it's going great and we want to grow more, the thing that we need to understand the most, and what we don't understand, I think it's the root cause of why we don't pray how we should, is when we don't understand as well as we could who it is that we're praying to. That's what changes our prayer life. When we recognize that we are praying to a good Heavenly Father who cares deeply about us, the more that we understand that, the deeper that we grasp that, the more that our prayer life will grow in richness and fullness the way that it's meant to be. We can know it in our heads. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is Father. We can know it here, but it's got to move from here to here to where we believe it and we understand it more and more. And this does not happen by accident. None of us are going to wake up one day and all of a sudden discover that we've become great prayers when we struggled before. Prayer takes practice. Prayer takes learning. Prayer takes doing it. It's the very reason why Jesus' disciples asked him, would you teach us to pray? So now at this point in Luke's gospel, 
Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, has been underway for quite a while. The disciples have been walking with him for a while now. The crowds have gathered around him. And his disciples, his closest disciples, have seen him do amazing things. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They have even at this point seen him calm a storm with a word. And now they finally, everything slows down just a little bit. And his disciples get a chance to ask him a question. And what's amazing to me is they don't say, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. They don't say, Jesus, would you teach us how to preach and speak in such a way that people are going to listen and it's going to be effective. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Verse 1 here tells us that Jesus was praying in a place and his disciples observed him. They saw him. They watched him. In the Gospel of Luke, we hear almost a dozen times that Jesus went aside to pray. He went aside to be alone with his Father, and his disciples noticed this. They noticed that it's his, his relationship, his intimate relationship, his prayer with the Father was the source of his power, the source of what he is able to do. So they ask him, teach us how to pray. So, likely what they were asking, and at that time, uh, the rabbis would teach, and they would gather their disciples and crowds around them, and they would teach them uh, forms of prayer, things to say. So likely that's what the disciples were looking for. They want to know, what are the words that we need to say to get the results that we want, to, 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 to please God, to do the things that that we're called to do. And Jesus does give them those guidelines for prayer, but what he does in the rest of that passage is he teaches them who it is that they're praying to. More than just the right words is who it is that you are praying to. In fact, one of the most amazing, one of the most striking things about this prayer is the very first word, Father. Jesus, every time, except for one time in the Gospels, Jesus Praise. He addresses God as Father. And that's amazing because at that time in the Jewish culture, you would not do that. You wouldn't dream of doing that. They knew that God is holy. God is unapproachable. God is awesome. Remember, they still had the priestly system in place. They couldn't just go directly to God and pray. They had to go through a mediator. Yet here Jesus is praying to God as Father and teaching his disciples to do the same. And he was able to do this because Jesus knew what his ministry, what his life, and what his death was meant to accomplish. He knew that he was there to reconcile that relationship that had been broken by sin, that had been broken at the fall, that had severed that relationship that God had with man. He knew that he was the mediator that was going to replace all the priests, and that he was going to make the way for all of his people to approach God directly, to approach their Father. So in a very real sense, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray this way, he's the big brother teaching his little brothers how to approach their Father in this familial, in this close relationship. Knowing that God is the good Father, the perfect Father, not the sinful, not the broken, not the fathers that we're all used to. Even the good ones still make mistakes. They still tell us to keep driving when the car's on fire. But God doesn't. Now, there is so much that we can learn from this passage about prayer. But I want us to look specifically at three things. That when we understand more deeply who God is, who it is that we're praying to, three things that our lives 
ways that our prayer lives can be affected and should be affected, and I believe will be affected. And the first is that we'll have the right priorities in prayer. When we understand that God is our good Father, we can begin to have right priorities in prayer. How many times have you ever sat down to pray, whether it's by yourself, with your family, or, or with a group, and you just don't know what to pray? You either don't know what to pray, or you pray the same thing that you've always prayed, or you just start asking for the things that you want because we're really good at asking for stuff. But we don't know exactly how it is that we should approach God and how we should pray. And that's where Jesus gives us this guideline. Look at verse 2. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not to temptation. Now probably, if you have been in church, you know this prayer. You've probably prayed this prayer. It's more likely Matthew's version. We, we read this prayer in Matthew as well. It's a little bit longer. But the content and the pattern of the prayer is exactly the same. Jesus is teaching his disciples the same thing. And I think it's a good thing for us to pray these words. These are the words Jesus gave. Why would we not want to have those words on our lips? It's a good thing, but it's more than that. It's not a magical prayer that if we pray it right, everything works. It's a guideline. It's teaching us the priorities that we should have when we pray. And the first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples is to start with these vertical petitions between God and man. He begins, Father, remember that close family relationship, addressing God in a way that was, to that point, unimaginable. But then immediately, he says, hallowed be your name. He recognizes that God is holy and pure and perfect and mighty. You see how those two things that seem so opposite go together and he puts them right there because we need to recognize that God is close, yet God is holy. So we can come before God as our Father, knowing that he cares for us, but we cannot do it flippantly. I've seen that happen far too often, where we approach God like he's just our buddy and our chum. God is God. God is holy. God is awesome. And we need to keep that in mind at the same time as we remember that God is our Father who loves us more deeply and intimately than we can possibly understand. Then he moves on and he, he asks for God's kingdom to come. In this, he is recognizing that God's will is what's best. He's recognizing that because God is God, he is creator, he is over all, he's not one of many, he is the one and only God, God knows what's best. So we should want to pray for God's will, what he knows is what's best. And only then, only after that, only after we have spoken to God on this vertical level, then we start asking for the things that affect life here and now, and they're still important things. But then we move on to the, what I'll call the horizontal petitions. Notice how each of these, he says, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Each one of those are things that we need, not just things we want. He asks for the physical things, the food, the shelter, even relationships. Those are things that we were created with those needs, and those are good things to ask for. 
He recognizes that because we are sinners, because we are sinful, we need the forgiveness of sins because without that, we are all doomed to an eternity apart from God. And then because we still live in this world, because when we're saved, we don't just get taken out of the world and into heaven, we're still here. We still deal with the flesh. We still deal with temptation. He asks for protection from that temptation to keep us from falling back into those sins that afflicted us. All of those are things that we need, not just things that we want. I don't know about you all, but when I was a kid, I could pray for toys and the things that I wanted all day, every day, every time. The sad thing is so many of us just keep praying that way all through our lives. We just keep praying for the things that we want. And they might be good things, whether it's job promotions or better financial security or relationships or all of those things. They might be good things, but they're not the central things. They're not always the things that we need that are necessary. So we need to learn to pray for those things first. Prioritize the things that Jesus taught us to pray for. Now our understanding of God helps us in this because when we understand that God is God, he is powerful, he is mighty, he is, he is able, then we can confidently ask for his will to be done because we know he's good and that his will is good and that he's able to bring about his will. We don't have to just hope that maybe he can do it. We know he can do it. And when we understand that he's our father who loves us, then we know that when his will is done, it's for our good. It's what's best for us. We often think that we know better and we'll give God our suggestions all day long. But we need to come recognizing that our good father knows what is best for the world and he knows what is best for us. So it's good to take this prayer and use it as kind of a a rubric, a guideline for our prayers to get our priorities right, to pray as Jesus taught his disciples, to pray as Jesus is teaching us here how to pray. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He could have stopped there and just given them these words. This is what you pray. This is what you do. But then he goes on and he spends time telling them about their father, telling them about who it is that they're praying to. And the next thing that we learn is that when we understand that God is our good father, we can be persistent in prayer. If you are on social media, which I kind of despise social media, but I'm still on there, keeping up with family, whatever, and there's this disturbing trend, and forgive me if you guys have said it, because many of us have, but there's a need whether it's a sickness or a job or whatever, and we ask people, hey, could you throw up a prayer for me? And often it's tacked on with, or good thoughts or whatever. Well, could you throw up a prayer? And we treat prayer casually. And often we'll do that. We'll say a prayer. And then we'll go on and we'll never think of it again. But that's not how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in this passage. Look at verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or because of his persistence, 
He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is fond of speaking in parables, and this is kind of a a mini parable here. And in that culture, in that day, hospitality was a must. You didn't turn the lights off and pretend that you weren't home when your friend came over. No, if they needed something, you were expected to give it to them, and you wanted to be able to help them. So often, when people would travel, they'd travel in the evening. They'd try to avoid the heat of the day. They didn't have nice, cold air conditioning. So they would show up in the middle of the night. And in this scenario, this friend shows up in the middle of the night. He can't find a Holiday Inn or a Taco Bell, so he goes to his friend's house and asks for shelter, asks for some food, but his friend is out of food for the day. They're not stocked pantries the way that we're used to. So he goes over wanting to help his friend and he bangs on his neighbor's door knowing that he had leftover food from earlier and asks, can you help me? But his friend's in bed. And if you're anything like me, like waking me up at two o'clock in the morning does not go well. It's hard. You don't want to disturb your family. It's inconvenience. So he says, no, I don't, I don't want to do it. Yet, the first neighbor the one who's trying to be hospitable to his friend, recognizes that it's important. So he keeps knocking. He's going to wake up his friend. He's going to get him out of bed. And it's not so much that the other friend didn't want to help, that he's just mean. He's just tired. It's inconvenient. But because of his friend's persistence, he gets up and he goes to help him and he gives him what he needs. Because the friend knew that what he was asking for was important. Now, this is not a perfect one-for-one in the way that we're doing this. We're not saying, what Jesus is not saying in any way is that God is a sleepy man who does not want to get up and help us. He's comparing and contrasting sinful humans, a sinful human who selfishly just wants to stay in bed and keep sleeping, but his friend's persistent. He's showing that it's important. So even this sinful man is going to get up and he's going to help his friend. How much more will our good Father, our good and perfect Father, answer our prayers as we're persistent? This goes along with the first one. It's persistence in in those right priorities, in those things that we should be praying for. It's persistence in prayer. And often we pray like what we're asking for isn't really that important. We pray for something once, and then we forget about it. We never come back to it. And we could say, well, I'm just, I'm exercising my faith. I'm showing that I trust God. I've prayed for it once, and now it's in his hands. Well, truth is, it's always in his hands. But he's taught us to be persistent, to continue to ask. And often, if we just do that once, it's really laziness. It's because we don't want to take the time that it takes, the effort that it takes to continually come to God in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. It should be a constant part of our lives, that we are constantly bringing our needs before the Father. He gives us another example in 2 Corinthians when Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he couldn't get rid of, and he asks God, he specifically says three times, I asked for it to be removed. He was persistent in his prayer. Now, it doesn't mean that if you keep begging God for the thing that you want, remember getting the right priorities, It doesn't mean that you're going to get the boat that you desperately want or the raise or the job that you desperately want. Our persistent prayer does not convince God to do anything that he wouldn't otherwise do. God's will is God's will. We cannot change God. 
But it does mean that as we have the right priorities, as we have the promises of God in Scripture, we can consistently remind God of those promises, not because he forgets, but because we forget. We have short memories, and we forget all of the wonderful things that God has promised to us. So when our priorities are lined up, we can pray persistently. And I know you all know something about this. Being without a pastor for six years, I know you were praying for him. And look, God provides. It may take longer than you had hoped or wanted, but God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Take that lesson and apply it to everything in our lives. Are we persistently praying for salvation of loved ones or do we give up? Are we persistently praying for the forgiveness of our own sins? Because let's be honest, we continually sin. Are we persistently praying that God would deliver us from those sins that constantly tempt us? Are we praying persistently that God would revive and build his church? Those are the kinds of things that we need to be praying for constantly. And when we recognize, when we remember that God is our good Father, we can be confident that he will fulfill his promises. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Goodness, faithfulness, that is who God is. It is in his very character. So we can count on that. So we get the right priorities in prayer when we recognize God as our Father. We, have, we can be persistent in prayer. And finally, we can be expectant in prayer. We can expect that God will answer our prayer. I believe that often we pray weak and half-hearted prayers because we either don't really believe that God will answer our prayer or we don't really believe that he can answer our prayer. We can say that we do. But if we pray doubting and wondering, it shows that we don't really believe it. Look at verse 9 with me. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus just said six times, if you ask in accordance with my will, it will be given. The Father will answer. He says it over and over again. If God has promised, he will fulfill it. So when we pray, we cannot pray asking or, or wondering and doubting or hoping that maybe God will hear us. Maybe God will fulfill his promises. We can know for sure that he will. That doesn't mean that we're going to know what it's going to look like, how long it's going to take. But we can know that he will answer our prayers, that he will fulfill his promises. To prove his point, Jesus gives another example where he contrasts the good heavenly father with a sinful human father and says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We're sinful. I know it sounds evil or sounds harsh to call us evil, but it's true. We are sinful. We are selfish people. And if, as selfish people, it is shocking to us the idea that a son would ask for something good and the father would give him something bad in return, how much more will our good and perfect Heavenly Father give us good gifts? It may not always be the thing that we want or we think we need, but it is what is good. Because he is a perfect father. We need to learn to ask for the right things. We need to get our priorities straight in prayer. You may not get every earthly thing that you ever wanted. Because when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray this, this has to apply to all Christians across all times and all ages. We're spoiled here. We can think about luxuries and fancy things a lot of times. But this prayer, what Jesus is teaching, has to apply to the orphan in a third world country who is struggling to get along. Their father is good and cares for them and will give them what they need. We often think that, that it's about getting what we want and being blessed. It's about having what we need. It's about knowing what the good gifts really are. And Jesus tells us right here what the best gift is. The Holy Spirit. The Father knows how to give good gifts. God is a giving God. First, we see this in the fact that his son, Christ, came to earth and gave himself. He gave himself on the cross. He gave himself in our place. He died the death that we deserve to live so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that we could go and we could pray to the Father with this confidence, with this boldness. But the giving didn't stop there. He gives his Holy Spirit to those whom he has called. He gives his Holy Spirit to his people. The Holy Spirit, who is God, indwells his people. He gives us the ability to put sin to death. He gives us the ability to live a life that pleases God. He gives us the ability to do what we could not do on our own, in our flesh. Sometimes we forget just how good a gift that is. If you are in Christ, you have been given that gift. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the word to us, who guides us into truth. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one who enables us to live to righteousness. And as we talk about prayer, what we just heard earlier today in Romans 8, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. When we struggle in prayer, when we want to grow, when we don't know what to pray for or how to pray, ask the Holy Spirit, God himself, to help us to pray. And that's one of those promises that we have in the word that he will do. What we absolutely have to stop doing is trying to walk through life as a Christian with prayer as an afterthought or a secondary thing. This is, this is a priority. This is a primary part 
of the Christian life. And until we learn more and more to pray uh, according to the will of God, persistently and expectantly, we can just expect that our lives are going to st struggle. We're going to be, our prayer life will be anemic. We won't see the growth that we would hope to see in our lives. It's also something that we cannot ever put off until later. Yeah, I'll get, uh, wait till next New Year's. That'll be my next New Year's resolution, to pray more, to pray better. It's something for us to do now, to engage in, to ask the Holy Spirit to help us learn to pray. This is not one of those kinds of messages that any of us should feel beat up over. I know prayer is something that throughout my life there have been seasons and times where I have not prayed consistently and then I feel bad about it and dejected and man, I failed God. It's not about feeling beat up. It's about recognizing what a good gift we've been given. Access to the Father through Jesus. Why would we not make use of that more and more each day? Why would we not take that gift? So my encouragement to you is to more and more every day prioritize prayer. Yourself, that personal time with God, that's important. Prioritize prayer with your families. No matter if it's you and a spouse or if it's your kids or whoever else you want to pull into that, prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer with your church family. Get together with the church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and pray for the church and for the community. So I asked you at the beginning to look at your prayer life and ask where it's at. And I hope that we'll continue to do that. Again, not to feel dejected, not to feel bad in the places where we may have failed, but so that you will see we've been given such a good gift from such a good father. My hope is that more and more every day we will grow in this area of our lives. Would you please pray with me?